What's up, everybody? We have made it all the way to episode seven. What up? I'm so excited. Um, This is the Pitts Stories from the Depths. Um, In this podcast, we talk about some real-life people and what you can learn from them, even through the pits of it all. Yep, yep. And I am John C. Pitts with my wife, Carolyn. What's up? Yeah. Um, So we are on the same level with you guys again. Um, We are recording this the Sunday before it releases. Really wanted to spend this Thanksgiving break enjoying um, the reason for this season, being grateful, um, being in the moment with family and friends. So I think we did a good job of that. Yeah. I mean, we've been going nonstop for the last couple months. I mean, we've got two podcasts. We've also got FML Sports as well. I've been doing stand-up, too, um, writing and, and doing sets around town nonstop. And, of course, we both have full-time jobs and, yeah. and families and friends and volunteering at church. And we've had, like, we literally have something just about every day. So it was really nice this weekend just to, like, put our feet up, kind of chill, relax a little bit, spend time with friends and family, and, and really just kind of unplug, unwind, and then get ready to finish out the year. Yeah, um, John's did an amazing job this past Tuesday at the Laughing Skull Lounge. Um, got to see a lot of good friends come out for that. If you missed the show, never fear. There are going to be way more, so definitely make sure and join us next time. Yeah, thank you for everybody who came out. My heart was full. I really did feel like a rock star, like I had I had a support section you know, I went guess. out, went out to produce show, new pair of Jordans, you know, early looking, Christmas present, looking fly, and man, it was just, it was a good time, and and it's good to see. It's nice to feel some of like your hard work and stuff being appreciated. Right. And those bits that I that I told the other night still have room to work, so they will continue to get better. But it, it's nice just to see kind of like a culmination of the work I've been doing over the last few months. Yeah, it was really good. I had a good time. And I think everybody else did, too. A lot of good comedians. Um, Moving right along, today is the first day of the Pitt's 25 Days of Giving. Today's is the most simple out of all the ones that we're going to be doing. And we are starting to pack the bags for um, the Sparkles and Spades philanthropy. So we'll be putting the man hours in tonight doing that. Um, and then tomorrow I will start whatever's in my car. If I see anybody, obviously we'll be handing that out. If you guys don't know what the effort, um, that we're doing for Sparkles and Spades is, basically if you have any old purses or bags, like mail, you know, those drawstring bags you don't use anymore as long, um, as they are in relatively good condition, um, if you, you know, don't really want to donate them, um, but you want them to go to a good cause, um, let me know. I can come pick them up from you. So bags, and then also any cold weather essentials, hats, scarves, gloves, um, anything to fit in those bags. And then obviously if you want to donate any other cold weather items, I will keep them in the car and hand them out on a as needed basis. Um, it's crazy to imagine (laughs) Because the Thanksgiving was in the 70s, but it's going to get cold out there. And, you know, we all see those people on the side of the road that need a little extra help. And we like to do that um, through Sparkles and Spades and also the Pitts podcast. So with the podcast, we're doing 25 days of giving, whether that be our time, our money, um, you know, getting, filling up somebody's tank of gas is one of the days. Um going to a grocery store and paying for the person in front of you for their groceries, all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited. Um, We'll be trying to video as much as we can. Obviously, some places have rules and regulations against that. Yeah, and it's also like, you know, if you're wanting to help somebody out and, you know, you're not wanting to – we don't want to do it just for the recognition, you know what I'm saying? Like, we want to do it as just just fellowship and giving something – you know, just to brighten somebody's day, we don't necessarily need to shove a camera in their face, too. So, yeah. but if they're willing, if they want to take a picture or something, maybe we'll do that. Yeah. 
And if you've donated any bags or uh, toiletry hygiene cold weather items, um, you'll definitely get a little shout out on our social media to thank you for that. And with all those really wonderful things, I think it's time to go into some crazy stuff. Okay. What you got for us? All right. So, I did something a little different today. Okay. And this week, you guys are going to let me know what you think. All right. So, today, we're going to talk about the topic of vigilantes. Vigilantes. Uh Uh-huh. Like Batman? I thought you would say that right off the bat. Yeah. Most of the time... When I say vigilante or vigilantism, um, there are a lot of images of, like, superheroes or, like, people coming in to save the day. Um, But today we're going to talk about the real-life, like, actual historical background of where vigilantes, like, come from. And one town in particular that has been dubbed the creepiest small town in America because of this group of people that decided that they would be vigilantes. Interesting. Um, And it doesn't just happen once. It's kind of weird. So vigilantism actually comes from the beginning of time. (laughs) That's my physical therapy. (laughs) They're calling to confirm for tomorrow. Sorry. Super unprofessional. Okay. So ever since the dawn of time, there have been like vigilantes or the notion of The good guy overcoming somebody evil. For instance, David and Goliath is, you know, it's somebody, like, he's a bad guy. Goliath was like a giant that was coming to destroy a city. So you have one small guy going to, you know, save the day. But that's still, like, everyone, no one was like, oh, my God, that guy's crazy for doing it. Everyone kind of had David's back on that one, right? Yeah, but Um, David wasn't a soldier, Yeah, he wasn't a soldier. He was just a normal guy that went to go do something for the greater good. Um, So the reason that I thought about this topic is because there is a Netflix documentary um, coming out uh, called No One Saw a Thing. Hmm. And the trailer was enough. Like, when I see anything like this, my, like, things in my brain get really interested. So... Obviously, more information is going to come out through that Netflix documentary. So, tune into that, um, and we can kind of compare what, you know, we found here, and then what they obviously dug into, because... So, this documentary is going to be about who we are. Yeah, they are. There's a Sundance... It's a Sundance film already that came out in, like, August of, I think, 2018. Netflix is picking it up now. But, you know, not everybody has the funds to be able to can afford Sundance TV or Sundance Now, whatever. Right. And so, you know, most of us will be seeing it as the Netflix. It's got six episodes. Um... And it's crazy. It's about a town, and it's called Skidmore, Missouri, but it kind of goes into another county, which we'll go into. Um, so, in the trailer, you basically get the understanding that something happened, and everyone's keeping their mouth shut about it. Yeah. But you don't really know. So, <clears throat> I, it got me thinking, like, where does this notion come from where people are like, I can take things into my own hands. Like, yeah. I'm going to take the law into my own hands and get justice, like, for the sake of justice. Right. So, you actually see it in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, Dinah, who's the daughter of Jacob, is abducted and raped by the son um, of the ruler of Shechem. So, her brothers, uh, Simeon and Levi, murder all the males in that town and plunder, like, everything, take everything from them for what they did. Right. Um, and then in Samuel 13, Absalom kills his brother, Abnon, after King David, who's their father, didn't punish them for raping his sister, which is gross and... Crazy. Yeah. So, that's where you see it in some, like, early texts from the Bible. Um vigilantism is described as the act of enacting perceived justice summarily and without legal authority. Um, And this type of justice has actually been carried out throughout history and a lot more recently than you would like to think. Um, In the early 2000s in Britain, civilians were vandalizing, assaulting, and verbally abusing people that were wrongly convicted of being pedophiles. Um, And then, like, Sarah Payne, it was the murder of Sarah Payne happened. Yeah. Um, 
who's killed by a pedophile. And then I, I guess a list came out. Something happened. It was incorrect about this whole, all these people being pedophiles. It wasn't true. So people there started taking their, their, uh, form of justice into their own hands. Um, in Guyana in 2008, Hardell Haynes was beaten to death by a mob who incorrectly believed him to be a thief. Um, since 2002 in South Africa, vigilante crimes have been on the rise in the mining sector since they have been unable to find viable solutions for the acid mine drainage that's hindering people in the area to live safe lives. So they're basically, it's like if people in Flint decided that they were just going to start killing every government worker. Right. So, um, it does still happen. Vigilantes acts still happen. Um, some other interesting, like United States examples from like the beginning of time, um, start with the death of Joseph Smith Jr. On June 27th, the founder of the Latter-day Saints movement. Hmm. So yeah, I, it's, we have it a lot in America, but the whole... Yeah, I feel like this would be... Yeah, the it's country just, of vigilantes. Well, we've always been the wild, wild west. Like, we're a newborn country, and, you know, we've we had to set... I mean, this country had to be settled. I mean, whether, whether whatever way you want to look at it. Right. Um, you know, so there was a general lawlessness, so people did have to right. do that. So, this whole, um, like, method actually stemmed from medieval times. So when people came to America, they still had this very much in their minds as something that had happened previously. Um, so like wealthy aristocrats were the only ones that used to duel. As people like thinking about dueling, yeah. they're like, if you talk shit, I'm going to shoot you or fight with a sword or whatever. Andrew Jackson dueled. Yeah. So like certain People, I had that. It was really only if you were higher up that you got that right. Um, but felons would be punished by these vigilante secret societies. And they were known as the courts of them, V-E-H-M, which were a tribunal fraternal group of lay judges or free judges that would hand down punishment. So this is what was happening the medieval times. Nice. So if you were a criminal, certain types of criminals would go in front of people that were not elected, that were not put there by the king. They were just re- regular people that would decide these people's fates. They're just, I guess, elders or strongest people or however. Right. Works itself out. Which you can see why that's a terrible idea. Right. Um, it's easy to be biased when you're a lay person. Like, you don't have any duty. Right. To be moral. So after um, the execution of a death sentence, the corpse could be hung on a tree to bring awareness to, like, the existence of the court. Jeez. So they could be like, there is, there is a power that will put you to death, whether or not the police do or not. Or whatever actual court system was in place at the time. They're basically Daenerys Targaryen, that thing. Yeah. Um... It was not until 1811 when Jerome Bonaparte abolished those courts and was like, if anyone is taking the law into their own hands, then they'll be put to death. Hmm. So um, he made it only at that point, like he was like, only I am allowed to impart the death, capital punishment or a death sentence. Which makes sense. Yeah. Um so, when the United States was going through the colonial period, which, if you guys don't know, it's mid-18th century, so mid-1700s, um, there was such thing as a citizen's arrest, <laughs> yeah. which I can people, just imagine during that, that time, <laughs> they're just running around like, come here, come here, I'm going to arrest you, you're doing, you're doing bad things, come here, bad things. I mean, they really wanted but to all of them shoot. were, yeah, all of them in that time were, like, committing mass atrocities against Indians. Right. So, uh, whatever was deemed bad to them, they could citizens arrest them. Right. Um, it was normal and based in common law. Um, it was protected by the constitution and it said that a normal person can act as an authority figure and an arrest and arrest a fugitive. 
Um, the other like noteworthy American cases I found, obviously Joseph Smith was killed. He founded the Latter Day Saint movement. Um, Bleeding Kansas. You guys don't know what that is. Yeah. Okay. So, um, leading up to the, the American Civil War, right? Civil War. Yeah. Um, there is something called the sacking of Lawrence, and that was in May 1856. That happened by or when a posse and or as some accounts call it, a mob um, was led by the local sheriff and basically ended up murdering a bunch of people on the grounds of slavery. Right. So I know it was like Missouri and Kansas. One was a slave state. One yeah. was a free state. And they were very much yeah. arguing over that. So they were going to destroy the town based on the fact that, like, they were against the anti-slavery activists. So, um, the, God, this is awful. Um, my notes are really bad on this section. So there was, I'm going to butcher this, the Potawatomi Massacre um, happened when five pro-slavery slept, oh my gosh. Pro-slavery what? Settlers. Settlers. Pro-slavery slept, I can't say it. Pro-slavery settlers. Pro-slavery settlers. Okay. Um, were killed by anti-slavery activists commanded by John Brown, citing the dead men's alleged involvement in the attack on Lawrence and other attacks on anti-slavery forces. Um, this started a three-month cycle of back-and-forth battles um, by the two sides in which 29 people were killed in total. So there was the sacking of Lawrence happened, and then they answered that by then when they were attacked, they attacked the Potawatomi. That was the massacre. And so then they just went back and forth and just killed for a long, long time. Yeah. All because they thought if they took things into their own hands, like slavery either would or would not exist. Right. Because those were two states that were very much in contention. Yeah, they were right there on the line trying to figure out what, where they were going to be. Yeah. Um, in 1856, the San Francisco Vigilance Movement remobilized. So... I guess they were a thing before, um, but unlike the earlier committee um, and the vigilante tradition generally, the 1856 committee was concerned not only with civil crimes, but also politics and political corruption. So they're like, if you do anything bad, we will come and find you and we will kill you. And that's great. Yeah, pretty good uh, deterrent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Some professional killers are going to come try to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. In October 1862, in northern Texas, several Unionist sympathizers were arrested and taken to Gainesville, Texas, for trial on charges of treason and insurrection. Seven were tried and hung, and 14 were hung without trial. Dang, that's for real. Yeah. Just straight to it. Yeah. Go ahead and get them out of the way. Right? And then a few weeks after that, um, Unionist sympathizers were hung without trial across northern Texas. This was known as the Great Hanging at Gainesville, and it may have been the deadliest act of vigilante violence in U.S. history. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's really not good. If you look at pictures of this, if you ever have seen um, the happening, yeah. where people just start killing themselves, and there's a bunch of people just like hanging from trees as they're driving in, Yeah, that's what these pictures... It's creepy because wow. you know photography was just coming up about so all you can really see is like dark it's creepy yeah it's super I'm gonna creepy. Pass. <laughs> yeah there's and that's another thing is like i want to after doing some of this research i'm like i want to go see these places i'm sure it's haunted af yeah yeah i mean but that's the thing is texas they've always been wild and uh, leading They're up to the Civil wild. War, yeah, but leading up to the Civil War, they very much like what happens in Texas is Texas business. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> both of these, the one before the San Francisco Vigilance Movement, again out west, like not really. Yeah, they're just now coming about as states, and they're so far removed from like where the government is. Yeah, because it's not like you can hop on a plane back then no. and get across the country, right? Um, another one from late December 1863 to 1864 in Montana, 
the Montana vigilantes were formed by citizens of Benack, Virginia City, and nearby Nevada City to fight lawlessness in the gold mining region of Montana. Over the next month, 21 men were hanged, including on January 10th, 1864, Henry Plummer, the sheriff, um, who was also the leader of a major gang of highwaymen, um, was hanged. The last man hanged by the vigilantes may have done, like, I don't know. He was literally just like, I'm innocent. And they're like, no, you're not. And they hung him in. Yeah. I was about to say, maybe uh, maybe you needed some of those guys, but not for that. I guess not for the last one. They left nobody. Eventually, I think it, it people would get corrupt. Yeah. Even if they're trying to do something good. Right. Um, most notably, in 1865, the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, was formed in Pulaski, Tennessee by a group of six Confederate war veterans. The Klan sought to obviously make the Civil War decision go in reverse. Right. Suppress um, suppress black voter rights. So. Yeah. They wanted to resist what was considered reconstruction at that point. The yeah. country wanted to rebuild based on the premise that slavery was now illegal. Um, and the KKK, as it is still today, is a leading agent of racist and terrible things that happen. So, yeah. Um, they, they're still around doing awful things, so nothing's really been solved in that. Um, in 1868, between 60 and 70 vigilantes broke into the New Albany, Indiana jail and lynched three Reno brothers. Lynching is like, it's, I don't know, it's just really popular. Um, I don't know if, like, guns were harder to get and more expensive to use, but... Louder, dirtier. Yeah, all these are... Ugh, that's gross. All right, so active in 1883 to 1889 was a group of... They're called bald knobbers, um, and they were masked men. They masked themselves in blackface, let me just say. Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, uh, masked men who retaliated against invading like bad guys, essentially. They called them marauders, which I thought was... Woo. Very intense. Um, Very drove, like Knights of Arabia. Yeah. And drove out outlaws that were coming into Missouri out to this place called Tanny County, Missouri, which I guess is in the middle of nowhere, so they didn't care about them. And that's what brings us to the creepiest small town in America. Oh, okay. All right. So this story, a lot of people think that what happened in this town is because of the history of the bald knobbers. Because they went for about six years and were literally the the police. Like, they were taking matters in their own hands, and they were put in such a good light to everybody in Missouri. It's like, why not promote taking the, you know, the garbage out, so right. to speak. Um, so, Skidmore, Missouri is tiny. Um, I worked in a movie theater that had one theater that sits more people than this town has. Their population in the last uh, poll was 250 people. Today? Yeah. Wow. And, and people are moving every single day because of the stuff that happened and continues to happen. Um, if you look up pictures, it's really depressing. It's not, it means buildings are falling apart, like everything's closed. Um, crime rates are technically low, but when you only have 250 people and yeah. the amount of violence that's happened in this town, it's pretty high. Um, yeah, it's 250 people, that's less than my gra- high school graduating class. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's tiny. Um, I mean, most restaurants seat more than 250 people. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's like, um, you know, a decent theater show or whatever, a decent comedy show. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first crazy tale, I guess, um, was like in the 60s and 70s. There was a man named Ken McElroy, McElroy, it's M-C-E-L-R-O-Y. Um, he essentially was this town's boogeyman. Like, he would steal from farmers, he would harass people, like, go after people's wives, yeah. Um, he 
was basically a dictator for the town. Um, and he literally raped people that he wanted to have sex with and would steal whatever he wanted. Like, terrible person. Um, he constantly stole from local farmers and businesses and assaulted people. Um, he took women and girls he found attractive as young as 12 years old, and he would add them to his family. So he would, like, have sex with them and then, like, add them as a wife and then just make lots of babies with them. Ew. Yeah. Um, so he was, had multiple wives at once and over a dozen children. Um, he, anyone who like was going to go after him or said that they were going to press charges, um, he got his lawyer on them, which his lawyer had mob connections. Um, and they would just harass these people, um, stalking them, shooting them, killing their pets, lighting their houses on fire. And even the police feared him. They wouldn't go near him because he was terrifying and connected to people that they wanted nothing to do with. So after years of abuse from this guy, um, a mob or posse is the other article called them. Right. Um, a mob of local citizens surrounded him in the center of town and started firing. Yeah. That's the only way to take care of that. Yeah. So they all called him a white trash terrorist. Um, but out of more than 50 witnesses, no one would say who pulled the trigger or who pulled a trigger. Right. Um, so, and to this day, every last citizen has refused to speak. So that's why I'm really interested to see this documentary. What year is this? Uh, this happened. Let's see. Um, it says in the 60s and 70s, he was, let me get the exact year. Okay, so, but but of this of this past century, of the 20th century. Yeah. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's crazy. I'm thinking like, like pioneer settlers. So times. he was shot and killed day after your birthday in 1981, July 10th. Holy crap. Like, that is so recent for, for something like that to even yeah. be going on. And 50 people kept their mouth closed. That's the more incredible part. 50 people to not fold to just nothing. Well, I mean, if they all came in shot together, then they're, you know, all equal parts. Well, that's the thing is when they're, it says um, I think six Six shots. It just said um, the news report said fired a few fatal shots. A few. Okay. But the thing is, is you still, at that time, you are, you, you have the CIA, you have the FBI. Like, you got yep. the federal government you can reach out to. Why are these police being and, such... Yeah, and broad daylight. Like, not at night. Just well, walked this... out to his car in the middle of the day and 50 people, it reminds me of that Black Mirror episode, just stood around and watched this dude get shot to death. Yeah. And I didn't mean, say a thing. Yeah, why would you? This guy's been terrorizing your town. He's a huge bully. Right. Uh, but I, I don't see why he wasn't removed by the authorities way sooner than that. Because I can understand, like, if it if it's, you know, pioneer times and you don't have a right. lot of people around. But the federal government is here. Yeah. If you can't help, or like, I mean, I'm sure you had the state government, too. You could have... Whatever, the KBI. Right. Or is it Missouri, NBI, or whatever? I have no idea. But they were all afraid of him. Like, whoever this dude was, police wouldn't touch him. Like, mm. I don't know. Um, so, a lot of attention got brought to this, obviously. Um, and I, like I said, I'm super excited to see the documentary because it looks nuts. Um, so, things were relatively quiet over the next 20 years um, until they weren't. So, uh, Wendy Gillenwater was killed in 2000. Um, reportedly, she was stomped to death by her boyfriend. Um, but some Jeez, people that's have... brutal. Some people have dug in to find evidence that she was actually dragged around the town of Skidmore hanging from his car until she died. Oh my gosh, that's evil. Yeah, so her killer, uh, Greg Dragoo, is serving life in jail, um, but 
this is like that kicked off a series of seriously disturbing events that happened in the town. So on December 16th, 2004, 23-year-old Bobby Jo Stinnett was discovered by her mother, who told 911 operators that she looked like her stomach exploded. Um, sadly, she was pronounced dead soon after and was missing a infant that was in her womb previously. Oh, dang. So someone cut it out. So, miraculously, the baby that was eventually named Victoria Stinnett was found alive and well. The woman who she was in the custody of was named Lisa Montgomery. Police recovered the newborn within a day, um, and Montgomery's friends and family were absolutely shocked. So they thought they were celebrating her fifth child, um, but nine years previously, Lisa Montgomery had tubal litigation, so she, she can't have babies. Right. Um, so she'd been lying about being pregnant, and apparently she had done that many times over the nine years. Um, she came into contact with the pregnant Bobby Jo Stinnett online, um, under the premise that she was going to be purchasing a terrier from her because Stinnett was a dog breeder. Um, when she came into the home, um, Lisa began strangling the mother-to-be until she went limp. Clumps of Montgomery's hair and spots of her blood were found at the scene. Indicting Bobby Joe, um, though I didn't... I don't... It was... It was not easy... So, the pregnant mom basically, like, fought for her life, um, but, like, because Montgomery had marks all over her. There's signs um, of a struggle, for yeah. sure, with her hair being out and right. blood being on the scene. But somehow, uh, Montgomery knocked her unconscious, and then once unconscious, cut the infant from her womb um, and took her out of her. Jeez. Yeah. Um, Jeez, that's... Man. Yeah. That's a lot. So, as of now, Lisa Montgomery is scheduled to be the third woman in American history to be executed by the federal government. We talked about the other one that yep. was scheduled that never went through because she died of natural causes. Yep. Um, so, it turned like Lisa apparently was repeatedly raped by her stepfather as a child And when she told her mother about the abuse, her mom pulled a gun on her. Um, She suffered, like, countless beatings as a child, and it speculated that she had brain damage. Um, She was an alcoholic, like, started from a young age. She started consuming alcohol, got married as a teenager, but that quickly became abusive. So, like, she didn't have a great upbringing either. So, again, attention came to this town that it just, like, all these crazy things kept happening. Right. And you would think that was probably going to be the last of it, but it wasn't. Um, Brandon, Branson, sorry, Branson Perry, who was cousin of Bobby Joe Stinnett, disappeared April 11, 2001. And, mm. like... By disappeared, like, nothing has ever been found. No of, trace of him. Nope. Um, he was 20 years old, uh, was cleaning up his father's house, and as he was coming back, like, or his father was supposed to be coming back from, like, staying in a hospital, um, he went out the door, like, the 20-year-old went out the door to put jumper cables in the garage and the garage is connected to the house, kind of like Jenny and Jason's. Like, it's a few yards away. Right. Um, and no one has heard from him since. No one saw him go anywhere. Um, no one saw him get picked up by anybody. Not even his friend Gina, who was in the house helping him, Weird. knows what happens. Um, there were also two other men who were working on his father's car on the property and literally, they're like, he was here one minute and gone the next. Like, we didn't hear any cars. We didn't hear any people. Like, we heard him go put the jumper cables down and then gone. Disappeared. So, I'm sure that the police are assuming he walked off. 
Yeah, but he so he's never been seen since. Um, not didn't leave by like behind any evidence as to where he was going. There have been no leads in the case. The jumper cables he was transporting weren't found until two weeks later when they suddenly appeared in plain sight on the property. Um, so all of the town got together, combed the area, and found nothing. Um, excavations have been made, but like nothing's ever found. And someone said it's like he never existed. Um, there are a few theories about what happened, but like none of them hold up. His friend Gina um, said that he, like he was starting to dabble in drugs, so he might have gotten in debt with some angry dealers. Uh, but again, like no one heard a car pull up or yeah. anything. Um, his dad said that a few weeks before that Brandon had been violated by his neighbor. Um, apparently he was drugged and assaulted by a man named Jason Bierman, um, leaving him understandably humiliated and angry. And he speculated that his son was eager to get out of the area. But again, like someone would have seen him walking on the road or something. Right. Um, then there was another really interesting theory Involving a minister, his name was Jack Wayne Roberts, and he was actually arrested in April 2003 after he attempted to perform an amateur sex reassignment surgery on another Jesus. individual in a hotel room. Along with child pornography, police also found on Roberts' computer graphic message board posts involving sadistic stories of extreme sexual assaults. One involved a young male hitchhiker whose description matched Perry's. Um, Roberts denied any and all involvement in the disappearance of Branson Perry and swore his internet posts were mere fantasy, though some believe a necklace found in Jack Roberts' home resembles one Branson owned. Um, he's never, like, been proven guilty in the disappearance, but is serving a 30-year sentence currently for his other crimes. Yeah. Um, so this is where it gets weird and... Um, I'm sure they go into this in the documentary. Yeah. Because when you have a budget like that, like you can do, you can they're send have... people out there and like dig, and they're getting in person interviews with these people. That... They're going to be privy to information. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just the violence of Skidmore, it's also in the encompassing county, which I talked about earlier, and it's known as Nottaway. Um, so. Even though the crime rate is technically low, um, the instances of really grisly and strange crimes in this area are ridiculous. Um, so starting back as far as the 1880s, um, the Talbot brothers were hanged for the murder of their father, despite the fact he swore with his dying breath that his political enemies were to blame. Um, Hez Rasco was murdered, or he murdered an entire family of four in 1910 and then burned the house and the bodies inside of it. Um, in 1974, Benny Kemper did something eerily similar when he slaughtered four of five members of the Meringane family. William Taylor in 1994, whose wife Deborah was thought uh, killed in a farming accident involving a faulty combine. So I can only imagine oh, how they found her. Um, it These was are brutal. Yeah. I'm telling you, and this is like, again, a tiny area with a tiny population of people. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a combine. Uh, it was later discovered that William had lured Deborah to her death by killing the family cat and propping it under the combine urging his wife to try and get the pet out from under so he could roll the heavy machine over her. Jesus. Nick keeps going. Oh, my gosh. Lloyd Jeffries, he was 71 and may be the most elderly list of characters in a killing spree, um, fired at members of the Conception Abbey Monastery, killing a monk and a priest and injuring others, all in their 60s and 70s. They were complete strangers. He had never been to the organization before. Just opened up, starting killing people. 
2013, business owner Steve Parsons was convicted of sexually assaulting a 14-year-old. Minutes later, he was convulsing on the floor of the courtroom and died shortly thereafter. It turns out Steve had snuck a cyanide capsule into the courtroom and discreetly gotten it into his mouth when the verdict was read. So, like, there's crazy stories of, like, grisly murders, mob justice, like, possibly, with that guy saying that yeah. it was political, and then freaking, like, honor killings, like, someone yeah. not wanting to... It's, I don't know. Taking that sign out of tablet don't have to go to jail. It's freaking weird. So, a lot of people are saying that it's the it theory. Like, something right. lives there. The dairy main. Yeah. Something is there, and it's evil, and it causes all the people to be evil. Um, but, yeah. Definitely gonna have to check the documentary out. Um, but, yeah. Um, Interesting. I mean, that's that's a lot of gruesome stuff. I know. There. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how to take that all in. That's a lot, a lot of very, very brutal murders. I mean, I'm sure like like Atlanta's got plenty like that, but it's just we also have a population of six million people. Right. So, what do you think, vigilante killings? I mean, I I think here it is with vigilantes is. There's a reason why we have checks and balances, and the system's not perfect, right? Yeah. But it, generally, generally, it works out. So we need to trust that and have the checks and balances in place. Because if people just take off on their own, right? Who knows? Will be who knows? Will be collateral damage. Yeah. And I, you know, eventually. It's like we're talking about those some of those one guys who you know in Montana, like they were doing some stuff that was good, right? Like that that guy who was the sheriff was a highway robber, right? And so therefore he should be punished for his crimes, correct? Right. But then of course, naturally with humans, there's greed and people go power hungry, and then eventually the wrong people get hurt. Yeah. What's that that? Quote, if all or if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Yeah, I mean, and and I understand that feeling of oh, this isn't fair, and like the world's not t- the, the system isn't taking care of me. Right, and there are a lot of instances I think of that, which I think is why people feel the need to take matters in their own hands. For instance, your daughter is raped by an older man and that man gets off like doesn't have to go to jail and then you see that father go to shoot that person in court because in that moment he feels failed by the system and how couldn't you like if there's all this evidence and your daughter is never going to be the same you want to see that person punished and i can't like i can't imagine those you know i always would Say, you know, try to forgive. That's a great thing to do. But every story I see where someone does that, I'm like, I can't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine if someone killed somebody that I loved or hurt them or assaulted them anyway, being like, oh, I'm not going to go and stop that person and wait for them to get out of their car and shoot them. People do it. I know. Um, And that's... Honestly, it takes such a strong person to be able to forgive somebody who's hurt them in that way. Yeah. Um, this, it's, it's incredible grace. Right. That, like, I myself don't think that I am capable of. Right. Um, but, you know, you have to know that, that ultimately we're not supposed to be the people that are judging. Yeah, we don't make those calls. Um, and, you know, I think eventually... Everybody gets taken care of, no matter right. how big of a bully you are, no matter what connections you have, or you know what strength that you think that you have. Eventually, somebody's coming for you. Yeah. And and no matter what, death is unescapable. Right. So eventually, you're going to meet your maker, and right. eventually, that person's going to have to answer for what they did. Yeah. I mean, I used to be. 
I get this person screwed me over. I'm going to get back at them person. And a lot of times, like, there's definitely a tug to be that way. But I think, like, the older that you get, I mean, number one, like, you never know what someone's going through. So, like, sometimes you perceive wrongdoing when there is no wrongdoing there. Right. So I think it's important to clarify that. But when someone, like, does something wrong to you or hurts you, I mean, worst case scenario, kill somebody or assault somebody or injure somebody that you know, like, I hope no one's ever in that position, but... Like, there's better, there's more grace in the forgiveness. Like, forgiveness isn't just for them. Right. And it's, it's gotta be for you. And it can take time. Like, no one's asking you to forgive somebody overnight, but it's definitely, you'll, you'll lose less sleep once you let it go. Um, cause yeah, we firmly believe here that. There is a better purpose to the pain, and it's not going to be immediately evident. Right. Um, But taking things into your own hands is never the answer. Well, the forgiveness doesn't have to be straight to their face. You don't even have to tell them. And it doesn't have to mend a relationship. Exactly. Um, You can forgive somebody without ever saying the words, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that forgiveness can happen. And then then that doesn't necessarily mean that... You know, if you had a relationship with that person, you don't need to continue that relationship to forgive them. Yeah, and I've been there where it's been a very good friend, and I've just, you know, the line has to be drawn. Like, you hurt me, I forgive you for hurting me, but we're not going to continue in a direction where you can hurt me again. Right. We're not going to be, like, we're we're just not going to be friends. I wish nothing but great things for you, but you and I... Are, we're over. Right. Like, you know, and I do, I try to give people a lot of chances in the beginning, which is for me why when someone does hurt me, it's like, I, I'll i give you, I'll, and I always tell, I love people until you give me a reason not to. Once you give me a reason not to, for me, in my mind, I cut it off. I'm usually done. I've, I think I'm too old now because... People will show you who they really are. If you pay attention, they'll show you. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just the act of getting over yourself sometimes. So, like, some people, if they hurt you, it's an ego thing. And you need to distinguish that. But if it's something where you know that certain, like, at the heart of what they did is something, it's a bigger issue, I cut it off. Like, if it's a red flag situation, you know, something morally that I can't get behind. But if it's, you know, you hurt my feelings, you embarrass me a little bit, you can get over that. Right. Well, I think in your youth, you you haven't seen it come to fruition yet. Or, like, you you know, uh, somebody who's older than you always tell you, like, don't worry, it'll come around. Right. And you don't believe it as a as a younger person because you haven't seen it yet. And then once you get some wisdom, then you, you, you the grace comes with a little bit of wisdom because you know because you've seen it happen right. firsthand. You've seen it. You've seen where a situation wasn't fair and it pissed you off, and then you saw down the road how this person, yeah, eventually got theirs. Yeah, and so so you know it happens. And I think the like until you experience it. You won't truly understand it. And yeah. That's how it goes for a lot of things. I mean, it's just, you know, um, you know, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know? I know. And hindsight's twenty twenty. That's how it goes. All those things. All right. Well, what did you think? Did you like doing that? Not exactly a couple. It was but... interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot to process. Um, a lot of pretty dark stuff. I'm going to have to go like watch some cartoons or something. I know. Like, filter that one out. <laughs> Next week, we need to have another like Ben and Jerry's type. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It'll lighten it up after that one. I like the creepy. It was creepy. I'm going to have to go check that town out in one day. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, just to see what's up. Like, there's got to be something going that's on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and obviously nothing's happening around there. Right. So, 
I don't know. It definitely would be interesting. Um, if you guys liked this episode and would like to hear more like this episode, let us know. I am a huge baby when it comes to things like haunted houses, but I really do like real life haunted things and true crime things. Word. So maybe some travels are in our future. We can go check some stuff out. Some field pieces. Some field pieces. (laughs) All right, guys. So um, I hope you have a great week. Um, We are getting closer and closer to Christmas. So, just a reminder, remember the reason for the season, try to give back, love your fellow man, even though it's really hard in traffic, just let him in. They have their <laughs> blinker on, just let him in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, help help that lady with the groceries to her car. Tip your wait that. staff. Yes. Be nice to retail workers. Yes. Try to stay out of hospitals as much as possible. This is a really busy season for them as well. Yes. If you're not bleeding, broken, or dying, as my dad said, don't go. Thank you to our first responders, our soldiers, all of that. All of that. During this season. We love you guys so much. Hey, make sure you uh, check out FML Sports. Follow me at John C. Pitts and uh, check out my comedy dates. Yeah, definitely. Um, John going to get better at getting on his social media. I am super excited to announce this is the first Monday that you guys are going to be seeing us on the Facebook pages. Maybe that's how you found us here today. But we hope to keep connecting and getting this out there. And if you guys like anything that we do, we would love for you to let us know. Give us a five-star review. Share us with your coworkers, your friends, your family. You're going to be traveling a lot. So take us with you. Anywhere you listen to your podcast, we'll be there for you. This is The Pits. This is Johnson. Mm -hmm. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.